Hey, good morning. So uh, thanks for braving the temperatures and, more importantly, I guess today, the snow. And uh, we're going to be continuing our series in Galatians chapter 4. I hope that you have been enjoying this series as much as I have been in terms of just listening to Gary and, and his teaching of it. And as we're about to read Galatians 4, 1 through 11, that's where we'll, where we'll be today. I just want to set the stage again and remind you of a couple of terms that we'll, we'll come to a couple times throughout the text this morning. First one is this idea of what a Judaizer is. Uh, it's a weird word, man. I don't use it real often in my life, Judaizer. And the idea is just this, that we had this church in Galatia, and it was kind of ruled by the ones who had been there the longest, some of the Jewish people. And so some people from the Roman or Greek culture were coming into the church. And, and they were saying, okay, well, we're going to follow Christ too. And the people who are already in the church were saying, no, no. If you're going to follow Jesus, first you have to be a Jew. And if you become a Jew, then you can follow Jesus. And so they had all of these rules that they were trying to place over them, saying, you know, you've got to keep this rule and that rule, including circumcision. And then once you get all of these rules taken care of and you work to be good and right in God's sight, then come to us and talk about following Christ. And the whole of the book of Galatians is like, what? No, that, that's not the way it works. The whole purpose of Jesus coming was to change that whole old system of law, law, law. And so that's what a Judaizer is. It's somebody who says, let's go back to the law because I feel safe and secure with the law. And, and the whole of what Paul is saying here is, that is just not going to work anymore because the time has come to move on from that kind of thinking. And so with that in mind, we're going to open up to Galatians chapter 4 and read verses 1 through 11. And as I said in first service, my intent today is to say some things that make us think and then say some things that impact our heart. Because this passage is Paul, he, he is saying some of the most significantly passionate and emotional things that he says anywhere in scripture here. I mean, verse 11, he's saying, dude, am I wasting, did I waste my life on you? Don't you get this? And so the passion and the heart with which he speaks needs to come through. And uh, our hope is certainly that that's what will happen as we look at these verses. Verse 1, chapter 4, Galatians. What I'm saying is that as long as the heir is a child, He's no different from a slave, although he owns the whole estate. He's subject to guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. So also, when we were children, we were in slavery under the basic principles of this world. But when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under law, to redeem those under law, that we might receive the full rights of sons. And by the way, um, the reason that I called this, this whole message adopted is from that phrase right there, full rights as sons. And so in some other translations, they even use the word adopted right there or adoption. All right, so let's, let's continue on. To redeem those under law that we might receive the full rights of sons because you are sons God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a a slave, but a son. And since you are a son, God has made you also an heir. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were slaves to those who by nature are not God's. But now that you know God, or rather are known by God, how is it that you are turning back to those weak and miserable principles? Do you wish to be enslaved by them all over again? You're observing special days and months and seasons and years. I I fear for you. Somehow, I've wasted my efforts on you. So let's pray, okay? Lord, we ask for your spirit to come. And not only to be the one that cries out for us, Abba, Father, but also the one today who teaches us about your word. We want to know more about 
the truth, and we want that truth to like settle into the depths of who we are as people so that we love differently. We think about our lives differently. Lord, this is not some academic um, exercise. This is the hope of the world to know God and to be your son and, in essence, to be Jesus' brother. And this can only happen if we, if we are taught it and believe it by your spirit. So help us, we pray, in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, amen. It's almost impossible to not think about Christianity from your earliest days like it's some kind of, uh, well, it's a religion, like a world religion. Like there's a bunch of rules out there that everybody tells us we have to obey, and if you are bad, you should try to be good. And if you are, are good enough, if your good outweighs your bad, then God will be pleased with you. And that's, that's the mindset of the law. It's the mindset of being a prisoner. And I, I almost hesitate to use the word, but I think I have to. Who we used to be in this whole transaction, this whole life, is we used to be bond servants. And so that's number one. I use the word bond servants because, honestly, to write the word slave was hard for me. We, we all know what we mean when we say bond servants, but the, the word in the New Testament in your text is, is enslavement and slavery. And so right off the bat, I want you to understand that when we talk about slavery, we're not talking about the, the kind of slavery that was experienced in, you know, in North America through, through the 1860s. Uh, and we're not talking about that. We're talking about a different sort of, of slave-master relationship in the New Testament. I'm going, to, I'm going to say a couple of things real quick so you get the picture. Slavery was something that the whole culture was built on in terms of an economic thing. If you went to a city, maybe two-thirds of the young people especially would be slaves, and they wanted to be slaves sometimes. It was temporary. So they would sell themselves for a little while, get money from that. They would be able to get themselves out of debt. Sometimes their masters would, would pay for their education. Uh, it, it wasn't just people who could like make bricks and go out, in the, out back and, and do hard labor um, people would, would, be sla- would be considered slaves who would, who would do business transactions, who would be teachers of the kids, who would be uh, taking care of investments of all sorts. Doctors would sometimes, for a while, be slaves. And by the way, almost every time, by the time somebody turned 30 years old, they were, they were set free from their, their agreed-upon slavery to go out from uh, their master's. And the reason for that was that the masters didn't want to have this system continually going on. It was costing them a lot of money. It was easier to take care of younger single people and, um, rather than people as they continued to grow older. And so sometimes the slaves were saying, no, don't, don't set me free. And the masters were saying, no, you've got to go free now. And so, again, I'm not saying that makes it right. I'm saying it was a different sort of relationship than we think of. And we'll continue to talk about that as we go forward a little bit. Um, The the other thing that's interesting is that you often couldn't tell the difference between uh, a slave and the son of the master. They'd be out doing the same job side by side, dressed the same way, and you'd be seeing them do their work. And unless you knew them and knew about them, couldn't tell the difference. Slave and a son, side by side, doing the same job. And you'd go about your business thinking, well, I I don't know how they all relate to the master guy. I just see them doing the same job. And, and so there's a difference. Nonetheless, it was, it was something that took away rights. Slaves could not represent themselves in a court of law. Though they were considered persons, they were considered property. Uh, slaves, you wrote a few ideas down here. Um, yeah, they had no legal rights, but they were usually, supposedly at least, treated well. They could not contract a legal marriage. They could not represent themselves in court. They could not inherit anything. And they were viewed as having no family. So if you sold yourself and gave yourself over to slavery, um, within the context of that relationship, you know, they, they didn't take into account your dad, your brothers, your sisters, your clan, your, your opportunity to go visit. No. I mean, you, you had to stay focused there, and, and so your kin was kind of separated from you. Well, I say all that to say this. 
when we enter into a relationship with God and we're little kids, we get it in our head that it's like this slave relationship. That rights are taken away, and that's part of the, that's part of the uh, criticism of the world around us. This, this whole religious system of Christianity, it appears to be this slave system where God is the owner and, and uh, our rights are taken away, our identities are diminished, and, and, and we, we fall into the servitude. And furthermore, it's, it's mocked in our culture today as, as being a made-up or contrived kind of uh, slavery that, that's good for nothing, right? And, and so uh, this negative aspect, we grow up with that. It's around us all over, and it's around your mind and my mind. Sometimes I, I wonder if, if that's not what, what I sometimes just like boil Christianity down to. Do more good than bad so that you will earn the favor of the master who, if you do bad, will throw you from his presence and, and if you do good, will invite you into his presence. Paul saying, guys, let's not think about God like that anymore. We thought, about him like that. we thought about him like that for a long time because that was what the law did to us. The law taught us that we had to do and do and, and, and uh, achieve to get God's uh, attention. And we used to be these bondservants and we were bound to the law and we did what the law demanded of us. And at the time of that old identity, this, this child under the guardian and trustees, That time was real, but it's over. What I'm saying is this, that as long as the heir is a child, he's no different from a slave, although he owns the whole estate. He's saying like in the Old Testament, we were were like children, and we had this, we had this, um, well, we had this guardian over us, and the guardian was the law. And it it set a time. And in fact, verse 2, he's subject to guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. Do you have something in your life and you can remember back to and you can remember longing for the day to come? When I was 12 years old, I could not wait until my 16th birthday. I longed to be able to drive a car. Now, I could not pay for a car, could not pay for insurance. I just wanted the privilege of having that independence, of being able to get behind the wheel of a car. And I had a countdown in my heart. I remember going to the people at that time, if you were in Sheboygan at that time, you remember that uh, driver's ed was taught in the local schools. And so I went to this special teacher dude who decided who got to take driver's ed which semester, and I got in in the first semester and the fall semester, so that I would have driver's ed done, so that on March 27th, I was free to get my license. And the guy's like, no one does this. And I'm like, I want to have this class now, please. So for years, I looked ahead to March 27th, 1986, as the day of freedom. And it was. Maybe you have something like that, where you have this day in your life where you looked to for a long time and you anticipated the moment when it would finally happen. Maybe it was your wedding day. For those of you that have the incredible privilege of having had a child, maybe it was that due date. Whatever the date was, uh, the visit of a friend from a far-off place, you anticipated and you got ready. and, And Paul is saying, guys... We were these little kids. We were seven years old. The Jewish people, we, we, were, we were slaves. We had nothing. We, we were just like told day after day to keep doing this work. Way back then, even remember Job and Job 19, one of the most ancient texts of the Old Testament. Even way back then, he was saying, I know that there is a redeemer that is coming. Remember in Job 19 when he said that? His life had fallen apart. He had nothing And he looked to the Lord in prayer and said, I know my Redeemer lives, and on that day, my eyes will see him, and my flesh will be in his presence. All through the Old Testament, the Jewish people were saying, guys, there's a day coming when when there's going to be a Messiah that actually comes, a deliverer, one who would pay for our sins. And Paul is saying, guys, we were those children. We've been looking forward to this day forever. 
when we would finally have a flesh and blood person who would pay for our sins to make us right in God's eyes, and that day has finally come. It's come in Jesus. It's come in Jesus Christ. Well, I ask myself this question, why do we find it so difficult to move away from relating to God in a, in a servant or slave master relationship and move to receive this truth, this reality of adoption or full rights as sons. We call him father, he calls us son. Why is that so hard for us? It's hard for me because um, it's deeply, deeply ingrained in me to be a slave. From my earliest days, from your earliest days, I think you can remember the sin that you are bent toward ruling over you. You can remember trying to overcome that sin with effort. That is, being a slave to it. Now, I'm not saying it's wrong to put rules in your life that keep you from harm, that keep you from sin. But what this passage is saying is those rules in your life that keep you from sin, in the end, will not save you. They cannot save you. They are powerless. But I can remember from my earliest days trying to put little rules in my life that would keep me from that certain sin that tripped me up and made my life miserable. And when I would uh, find victory, it was so easy for me to say, I don't need Jesus I got this on my own. And if you have little rules in your life that have kept you from sinning, be very careful that you don't start relating to God again as a taskmaster, as one who rules over you, but you don't really need it because you have figured a way to keep yourself from some of those sins. It's so difficult, isn't it? God wants you to stay away from those sins. But in staying away from those sins with your rules, with my rules, it's really easy for me to get self-righteous and feel really like I'm earning this relationship. And that's the whole point of Galatians 4. That's why it's so difficult to, to leave behind the bond-servant mentality. Another reason it's hard is because others continually remind me of my own condition. And they try to convince me that I'm still the same old person. I'm the first one in line to remind myself that I'm still the same old person. Are you? You look at what you've done, look at where you're at, and you cannot see the growth, and you cannot see the love, and you cannot see the spirit that is is bearing witness with your spirit, crying out to God, you're my father. And so you remember that old person, and you are accusing yourself on a regular basis. You're not good enough. You don't measure up. You can't be a son. It's one of the reasons why this word adoption is so appropriate in, in, in terms of what Paul says here. I've had people I love so much who have been adopted, and one of the things that they... That, sometimes struggle with is this reality of saying, okay, I know I'm in this family. I receive that I'm in this family. I love that I'm in this family. But that's not the fullness of who I am. I've got this whole other identity working in me. I can't, I can't get beyond. And we're reminding them daily and regularly. And my prayer is that this passage would remind them, too, of the grace. And as we come back to the spirit of this family, the, the family of God, guys, we have got to ask that God reminds us regularly. Remember, as you accuse yourself and use your words to tell you and remind you that you don't measure up, Remember that your brother who bought you uh, freedom and who gave you full rights as son, Jesus is in the presence of God himself at this moment. And while the evil one accuses you, he's standing in your defense and saying, no, 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 I paid for all that. That's the whole purpose I went to earth. The fullness of time has come. That time when the Jewish people were waiting for hundreds and for thousands of years, that fullness of time has grown up. Jesus has been here on your behalf. Jesus has defeated the, the accuser. He has taken the words that he would 
hurl at you and he has twisted them and turned them and defeated them forever so that you can be free, so that when God sees you, he doesn't see you in terms of what you've done and what you've not done. He sees you in terms of what Jesus has done and not done. And when the accuser hurls another accusation your direction, Jesus absorbs it in your place in heaven and says, no, I don't remember that. I paid for that. And God has separated it from you as far as the east is from the west. But my ears hear it. You know, you can stop your voice from accusing you if you believe God. You can stop at least one voice. Now, it also helps tremendously if because you have received relationship from God uh, to his son that your behavior begins to change. So you're the anxious one and you're always anxious and you're controlling and you're trying to make something happen in your own strength and in that sin you return to it so quickly. And if it works out, you did it. And if it doesn't work out, God's the culprit. And you go through this whole system of of, uh, servitude and slavery. And if you're in right relationship with the Father, you, you can, number one, give up that anxiety. And and number two, you can listen to what he says about you. You're received. You're in relationship. You're loved. Another reason I listen to those voices and why it's so difficult for me to leave behind the bond-servant mentality is because it's easier to quantify and measure works than faith. I can count the bricks. I made this brick, and I made this brick, and I made this brick. Isn't that enough? Remember what I said earlier? The son and the slave work side by side and you can't tell the difference. It's their motivation. It's their relationship that makes them different. And the son at the end of the day isn't counting his bricks. He's going home to be with the father. He got the work done. He served, but it wasn't about the bricks. It's about the love. It's about the relationship with God. And guys, I am so quick to look at the things I do. And if you have a thing in your life and you didn't mean to, but the reality is it went from an opinion to a conviction, and now it's on par with Scripture in terms of what everybody needs to do to be right with God. And if they don't do it your way, if they don't have your view of ministry, if they don't have your view of tradition, if they don't have your view of of, of working out favor with God, then they can be far from you. You can quietly judge them. You quietly say that, you know, I don't don't see the reality of their faith. We've got to be careful that we're not there, right? Because it's easier to, to quantify and measure works. And I can add up a lot of works that I tend to be good at and I can look around to the people around me that aren't good at those kinds of works and I can say, well, they're they're further from God than I am because look at what I'm doing. And God is saying, I'm not looking at what anybody's doing. Doing is good, doing is right. We need to do because we belong. I'm looking at what God would say. I'm looking at what Christ has done on behalf of these people. So guys, we used to be the slaves. We were far from him. God has brought us near. Well, in the 1860s, there was a guy who actually lived here in Sheboygan. And uh, he's my great, 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 great. Nikki knows how many greats. I don't know how many greats. Uncle, Garrett, John, Dunk. So my family and Nikki's family go, go back way deep in Sheboygan County. My great, 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 great grandmother was the first white baby born in Plymouth when Sheboygan was becoming Sheboygan. So way back when, my uh, family roots go deep here. So my great, 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 great uncle was in the Civil War. And so there he was. And he was uh, put into, into action, and he uh, then became a prisoner of war in the South. So they took him, I believe, to Alabama, and he was in a concentration camp, basically, uh, as the South kept him a prisoner. And they withheld food from him for uh, quite a long time. He became emaciated. He became um, really unhealthy. They even kept him submerged in some kind of a water puddle, something where that also created some other health problems. But they finally released him, of course, at the end of the war. He came back to Wisconsin and to this neck of the woods. 
And he began to eat and eat and eat. As a prisoner, they had told him that uh, withholding food is what he deserved. And so as he got out from that prison, he ate and he ate and he ate some more. The prison he was in um, killed him after he was released because he ate himself to death within the span of about 18 months after the war because he could not believe that he was truly set free. Guys, the, the law will kill you. It will not bring you life. It will not bring you close to God. It will destroy you. Christ came to fulfill the law, and that's where we get number two. Look, let's take a look at what God has done on our behalf. I mean, on our behalf, God has done incredible things for you and for me. Um, and so we look there at verse 3. Excuse me, verse 4. But when the time had fully come, God sent his son. And so God is the primary mover in terms of fixing our relationship with him. He's not the chief culprit in making this system of rules. The rules existed from God because in Genesis 3.15, before there were ever any rules, he said, there's going to be one who's going to save you. And it's not the evangelical free church that can save you, and it's not the Catholic church that can save you, and it's not the Lutheran church that can save you. It's not the traditions of any one of those churches that can save you. Genesis chapter 3 says it's me who's going to save you, and I'm going to save you by the work that my son does. That's what he says. That's the only hope you and I have. God took the initiative. It says here that when the time had fully come, and we could talk. I remember a class that I took in college. The guy talked, seems like, for weeks on this verse, and the time had fully come. He talked about the roads system in uh, Jerusalem. And he said, look, the, 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 the Palestine, it was ready for Jesus because Rome had come in and set up shop. And they, of course, you know that Israel is, was its own state, but Rome came in and took control. And they built all these incredible roads, the king's highway. And so that made it possible not only for Joseph and Mary to travel to Bethlehem, but more importantly, once Jesus was crucified and rose the third day and there was Pentecost in Jerusalem and the word started going out, the roads were in amazing shape so that the prophets and the, and the teachers could go from place to place, city to city, and the word could spread quickly. He talked for weeks about how emperor worship and, and uh, the, the Roman presence in the, the promised land uh, made, it, made people who were not Jewish ready to consider the idea of a God who was exclusive. There were so many gods. And by the way, that's, I believe, what God's going to do in the world and in the United States in these coming days. People are ready to hear anything when it comes to spirituality. And that may be, that openness towards listening to anything may be the way that God finally brings revival and brings a, a, a new work of what he's going to do. Don't resist it and curse it. Use it. Because what, that's exactly what Paul did in Acts when he stood up before all of these guys uh, in, in Athens and said, hey guys, um, you, I see you've got this tomb to an unknown God. I see you've got this altar to an unknown God. I'm telling you, that unknown God is the one and only living God. And by the way, he's exclusive, and he doesn't want you worshiping all of these other gods. And some of them repented. They were ready to hear that. So this guy talked about communication, and he talked about the fact that this emperor worship made everybody ready to receive uh, an exclusive Jesus who... Um, you know, uh, was sent by his, his father. Well, the point is, there was all of those things coming together because Rome occupied Jerusalem at this time. True. That's the fullness of time. But, but it's not what this passage means. The fullness of time is this. The time finally came when God sent Jesus into this world. That's the fullness of time. He got everything ready. It's true. But that's not the content of the time being full. The time being full is God finally placing Jesus 
in this world. Look what it says again in verse 4. But when the time had fully come, God sent his son. God takes the initiative. God is the, the mover in our relationship with him. He sent his son, Jesus. And so he, his son, Jesus, the, the, the idea there is that Jesus is fully God. God sent his son, Jesus, the only begotten one. And then look what it says next, born of a woman. And so we're, ama- we're amazed that he, in like two phrases, says not only is he fully divine, he's God's son, but he's fully human. He was born of a woman. And he continues on and he says he's born under the law. Listen, aren't you glad that Jesus lived under the law? Jesus lived under the obligations of the law for you. Because you can't measure up. You can't keep them. Jesus died under the curse of the law for you. So because he is fully God and because he is fully man, he could fully live out perfectly the obligations of the law. And and in doing that, then when he goes to the cross, God supernaturally places all your guilt on him. Cursed is the man who hangs on a tree. And as Jesus hangs on a tree, he, he takes your sin and your brokenness and where you broke the law and where I broke the law on him. He's cursed for you and for me. And and you can't come into relationship with the living God by doing more works. All the work God had to have happen to bring you and me into relationship with him, all of it hangs on what Jesus did when he was hanging on the tree. It's all of him. It's all of him. And so we've got this incredible God who takes initiative and this incredible Son of God who comes in your place and pays for your sin and for mine. And so God is the one who is accomplishing the work and what we needed to have happen. The purpose of Christ's coming is to bring those who trust God's promise to full sonship. And so then we get to that phrase right there. Now, the idea here of full sonship or adoption is not the idea of adopting a small child into the family. As we said before, uh, slaves could not inherit property. So the idea is this. Here's a man who has something to give, but, but in essence, no sons. And so what happens is he takes this slave that he delights in, that he chooses And he says to him, I want you to stop being my slave and I want you to go through a legal process whereby you will be my son so that you can inherit everything. And so it's this adult man who stops being a slave so that he can start being a son. Are you there? God wants to give you full rights. And like Gary said a couple weeks ago, this idea of full rights as sons is is not because we're sexist. The word is son, it's not children. And so we use the word son. I hope we're all okay with that. And the picture is that in first century Rome, that uh, this was the legal system. And so uh, the idea isn't that we use the word son because we're sexist. We use the word son because we're, we're getting you the full picture that you are a full, you are the full inherent, uh, the, the one who would fully inherit the promise and the resources of the Father. And so there's a distance in terms of a change of relationship, you were the slave. God cuts you off a slave and so that he can make you his son. And, and the emphasis is incredible. So the, the timing is God's timing. And the timing is not dependent on when you're ready to feel like a son. The, the timing is dependent on this reality that Jesus has come. Paul is speaking 10 years ago, Jesus came kind of talk. We are, are talking 2,000 years ago kind of talk. Nonetheless, Jesus has come. We're still living in the fullness of, of time, of perfect timing. The timing was God's timing. The work was God's work. He did it through Jesus Christ. The sonship begins and ends with God's son, who is our only hope. And our identity is God's delight. And we see that just as, as 
Uh, we see the way he delights in his own son. But when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under law, to redeem those, to buy them back, to purchase them, that we might receive the full rights of sons. Are you his son? Have you been adopted into the family of God? If you look back at chapter 3 and verse 26, it says this, You are all sons of God. How? Through faith in Christ Jesus. Not through the work you do. Not through doing more good than bad. Not through coming to church X number of times. Not through the status you write on your Facebook when you say, I am Protestant or I am Christian or I am this or I am that. It's not through that. It's not through self. You know, I, it's not through a prayer you prayed when you were six. It's through this. Knowing God by Jesus now. Do you know him? The great privilege of each of us to know God and to know that our acceptance in his sight is not based on stuff we can do for him. Indeed, instead, it's based on what he's done for us. Hey, by the way, this isn't a new thing. If we go back to Deuteronomy chapter 7 and verse 7, I love this passage because it says, God, why did you choose Israel? I mean, if you remember in Genesis chapter 11, Genesis chapter 10 and 11, the, the people at Babel, they were volunteering. They were saying, pick me. We want to make a tower that's so big and, and we're going to make it go into the presence of God. And if we make it big enough and cool enough, then we'll make a name for ourselves. But we want to see this God. They were in essence volunteering. And God was saying, no. It's not going to be you guys. It's going to be Abraham. And he chooses Abraham in Genesis chapter 12. But in Deuteronomy 7, we ask the question, why? Why did he choose Israel? Look at Deuteronomy chapter 7 and verse 6, actually. And we'll read a couple of verses together. For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you out of all the peoples on the face of the earth to be his people, his treasured possession. Why? The Lord did not set his affection on you and choose you because you were more, more numerous than the other peoples. For you were the fewest of all the peoples. But it was because the Lord loved you. He kept the oath he swore to your forefathers that he brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the hand of slavery, from the land of slavery. Why did God choose? Because he loves. Because he loves. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 5 through about 10. Why did God choose? Because he loved. That's why the picture of adoption is so beautiful. Because it's a father choosing to bring close and to say to that one face to face, you, you can't do enough work to please me. That's not what it's about. I choose you because I love you. And that's the relationship God wants you to be in with him. Leave behind the old identity. I've talked to many adopted parents who long for their adopted child to leave behind the old identity. Let it go. So that they could embrace who they are called to be and who they are right now. And not only has God brought us into right relationship, so we are in Christ, fully adopted sons, he, he, has, he has given us uh, another special advantage. We're in relationship, and this order seems a little odd, but it's, we have to accept what it says, right? Because you are brought near and you are in Christ and you have ex- accepted, received God's son, you are, by faith, his son's Also, because you are his sons, you get this added bonus, which is beautiful. Every place in Scripture. Now, let me just say this. Paul likes to use uh, an adoption picture. He uses it three times. He uses it in Romans 8. He uses it here. And he uses it in Ephesians 1. Nobody else of the New Testament writers uses the adoption picture. They all use regeneration, rebirth. Uh, The point is this. When Paul speaks of adoption, he always speaks of the Spirit of God being involved. In Romans 8, the Spirit is, is, is the gift. And look what we get. 
if we're children. Okay, so verse um, 5. To redeem those under the law that we might receive the full rights of sons because you are sons. God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. And do you see the Trinity in that phrase? God, the Father, sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts. And we're right at the Trinity. It's a beautiful thing. God works in perfect relationship with Himself forever. God the Father sent the Son. God the Son accomplished the work. God the Spirit resides in your heart. And look what that Spirit is doing. Because you are, look what, because you are sons, God sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts. The Spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. Uh, the word Abba there is uh, Aramaic, but uh, the point being, uh, I think moms, when the dads were out at work, uh, were trying to teach the, ch- the children the word ima. Say ima, say ima, because that means mommy. Right? And then the dads would get home, and they would, I hope, play with the kids, and they would look at the kids and say, Mama, Abba, say it, say it, say it, Abba, say it. Because that's what I did when my kids were little. Nikki would be in the other room, and I'd be like, say, Daddy, say, Dad, come on. And, they, and then they would say it, and I would be like, I don't know how they learned that. I don't, I don't know. I, just, I think they just like me more. I think that's it. And so this Abba word, it's not just daddy, but it is the word that the little kids would say first. And it grew up into understanding that we are in right relationship with his earthly father and we call out his name even even as adults, Abba. We're in right relationship with this this father who, who loves us. Let me point out a couple of quick things. Number one, your adoption doesn't take place when you get to heaven. Okay, It's right now. So the fullness of time has come when? Well, when Jesus came. It's already here. You don't have to wait to be the Son of God. Now there's a fullness factor that's going to take place when you see him face to face and your sin is gone forever. But there is a reality factor that is right now. You are the Son. You are the full Son of God now. If you have a relationship with Jesus, if you believe by faith Jesus is your only hope, you have entered a relationship with God the Father that is right now. What what good is it right now? Well, I'll tell you what good it is right now. You don't relate to the Father through the law anymore. You relate to him through love, through family. You don't relate to him by how much you can produce. You, You relate to him by his kindnesses and grace to you. So he's brought you close. You number two that you get out from underneath the requirements of the law. You don't, you don't have to, to do, do, do. You know that it's done. You know God. That is, that is an incredible benefit. You get to know him by the working of the Spirit in your life. So what's the difference? Well, here's the difference. Let's say that it's noon, right? And... And, uh, and you and I are making a decision about what to do next with our day. Maybe it's with what we're going to do with our work day. Maybe it's about lunch. Maybe it's about hanging out with friends. Maybe whatever it is. And in making the decision at noon that day, the, the, uh, the one who is the slave just goes, well, I'll just do, you know, I got whatever. I'll figure it out. I'll do my next thing. And the, and the son is able to say in prayer by, by the working of the Spirit, Abba, uh, what's next today? Would you lead me? My motivation has been, this guy saying, my motivation, who cares about my motivation? As long as the work is done, it doesn't matter what I'm motivated by. And this guy is saying, Lord, would you motivate me to holiness and purity because I love you so much? This guy over here is saying, um, as long as I get done what I'm called to get done, I am going to live my life however I want to. And listen, there's a lot of Christ- people who are at Christian churches 
thinking about church and life from this perspective of as long as I show up at church, as long as I do my conception of the law, as long as I produce some external appearance that makes it look good and have the bumper sticker on the car or the thing on the front porch of my house that says I'm a Christian or my Facebook thing, then I'm a Christian. Law. And this guy over here, by the very Spirit of God, is relating to God moment by moment through the day. Lord, what would you have me to do? Reveal to me my motivations. What's my next step? I long to know your word. I want to hear from you. Teach me how to live. The difference between law and spirit is black and white. It it is dark and light. It's, It's not comparable. And so it may seem a small distinction because the servant and the son can serve side by side and there's no appreciable difference, but nothing could be further from the truth. Relating to God by the law is death. And relating to God by the Spirit is life. And so God has sent his son so that that son can send the Spirit into your heart so that you can cry out to him, Abba, you are my father. Teach me. Show me. So let me just remind you too then that that makes you, here's another benefit of being a son, you're an heir. You're an heir. That means you get the promises. And as I said already, that doesn't mean you get the promises someday. You have the promise of, uh, for instance, Genesis chapter 12, we are the people of God. The people of God, it says in Genesis 12, will be a blessing to the world. You know that that applies to you. The people of God will go forth and bring forth the message of the hope of Jesus as we go. You know that Matthew 18, or excuse me, Matthew 28, 18 through 20 applies to you. Where Jesus stood and said, listen, all authority is given to me and I'm giving it to you. I want you to go into all nations and teach them everything that I've commanded you and baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And by the way, I'll be with you until I come back. That's a promise that applies to you today if you're a son. You a son? You don't have to figure out your purpose for life. Matthew 28 applies to you. Uh, Ephesians, excuse me, Galatians chapter 5, which we'll get to in just a couple of weeks, applies to you. God wants to supernaturally produce in you love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, faith, gentleness, self-control. He wants to produce that. You know that for sure. That's not for the slave. The slave is just trying to get a job done. The Spirit leads you to have the character of Christ as you get the job done, as you serve him. So you know for sure that Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit, that applies to you. You don't have to wonder if your works are enough. Revelation applies to you. You know you will see him personally and your eyes one day will fix and lock on the one you've loved all through your life. They will lock on him and he will lock on you and he will not receive you if you've done enough. He will receive you if you've trusted the work that Jesus did when your eyes meet his in glory. Revelation applies to you now as you wait for the fulfillment of it. It is an incredible thing to be a son of God. You're no longer a slave. We close up and, and we look at the reality that it's hard to move on. It's hard to get our brain wrapped around this because, look, formerly when you did not know God, you were slaves. That's who you were. And you want to embrace that, who by nature are not gods. But, but now that you know God, or rather are known by him, how is it that you're turning back? Don't turn back. I mean, how ridiculous would that be? One commentator used the illustration, as silly as it is. It'd be like as if we, we had gotten the electric typewriter out and we said, you know, this is what we've always done. And then we, we move in our business to email and, and being able to uh, save uh, uh, documents and send them electronically and print them at we will. And, and it'd be like us saying, you know, uh, this whole internet thing is too difficult and complex. I, I'm going back to the electric typewriter, right? It, it would be akin to that. Worse, it would be like this. 
It would be as if the, the Roman world came and, and saw the, the power of what Jesus did on the cross and then came to the church and said, oh, we want to be a part of what God is doing. And they said to them, okay, if you want to be a part of the powerful resurrection of Jesus Christ, you're going to have to go back to the law. You're going to have to get circumcised. You're going to have to try to please God with a lot of actions. And Paul is saying, if you do that, I have wasted my time. Because the power of the Christian life is in crying out to God, Abba, Father. Spirit living in you makes that possible if, like Galatians chapter 3, verse 23 says, you have received Jesus Christ by faith. Listen, friends. Seems like as we get older, we get self-righteous and we start adding the law back and we start trusting something other than Jesus. And those of you older in the faith, beware. Beware of the tendency to, to make my brand of Christianity the one through which I judge everybody else. And Jesus is saying to you and to me, no, let's move, let's move beyond that. We are brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. We have full rights. We have been taken from that position of slavery and we have been made sons so that he can give us everything from the promises to life eternal with him. Let's not turn back and let's bring the message of that hope to the people around us and help them see it's not about how much he can do. It's about how much he has done for you and for me. Let's stand together as we close in prayer. So Lord, we go from this place this morning and uh, I pray that our hearts are touched deeply, not because of me, but because of Paul's intense passion in this passage. And he's saying, guys, it's about what Jesus has done for us. Help us live not as slaves, but help us instead live as freed, as one's who are the sons, and and not only that you would call us son, but oh, what an amazing privilege. We know you, and we can call you daddy. Dismiss us, Father, from this place with your blessing. Help us to believe the promises that are applied to the sons, to the daughters. Help us live in them. Help us produce works in keeping with repentance, but not trust them, because only Jesus saves. In Jesus' name, amen.